do not try and paint this as a rosy picture. And I think that that's part of my class. Um, I tell people in the beginning, you know, that there is going to be violence. <laughs> Can't help that. It's going to be blood. Um, and I also say, if you don't also have to be a fan of the sport. I actually want some people to kind of give us that other perspective, to remind, you know, to give us that idea that mm, this is violent and this is not civil. And we know that there's CTE. How can we ever say this is a, a safe sport? Hello, everybody. My name is Jeremy Franchese. You are listening to First Floor Conversations, where the view at the top is only as good as the foundation which preserves it. Today on episode 47, we're joined by Nancy Kidder. Uh, Nancy's a proven writer and professor. In addition to her undergraduate degree at Duke University, extension certificate in publishing and communication from Harvard's Extension School, and her master's in creative writing from American University, Nancy has seven published works, as well as a career uh, as, a, as an adjunct professor working with American University, uh, working in creative writing, and one of the most interesting classes I've candidly ever seen. Uh, and so, Nancy, welcome to the show. How are we doing? Great. Thank you, Jeremy. Glad to be here. I'm very excited for you to be here. We've, for those tuning in, thank you, thank you, as always. I appreciate the time, attention, the feedback. Um, it's always amazing, and, and, uh, and it's been really cool to see the, the positive feedback from uh, Charles DeGisco's episode, which obviously was how I connected with you, um, and didn't know we had so many MMA fans, but I'm happy to see it because um, Nancy's built something that, that I just was so blown away by, and, and uh, when we first talked, it was originally like a 10-minute phone call, turned into like an hour and a half call. It was amazing, um, and same here, and so we're, we're kicking things off more so just so we can have it recorded while we have some fun. Um, but, but we want to dive into everything from education to teaching in a virtual environment to the state of kind of writing and journalism, which we've touched on a little bit and really the heart of it, which is the, the class, which is the writer writing and fighting. Is that what it's called? You got it. Um, and, and figuring out how in the world you built a class that excites everybody to the extent that, that they are, whether virtual in person, where you break down what you break down, which we'll talk about. And so... Before we dive into uh, the meat of it, set a little bit of a framework for us. Just the basics on where you're from, like where's home, how'd you land in D.C., and then, uh, then we'll kick things off. Great. Well, thank you, Jeremy. So home, I was born in Columbus, Ohio. And that's a big point because I don't know if I would be teaching writing and fighting without having that as my hometown. And that is because in 1990, um, you know, I was 13, and I saw uh, the Mike Tyson versus James Buster Douglas fight. Have you heard of this fight? Uh, yes. 42 to one, uh, you know, Tyson was just, he was Iron Mike. He was knocking people out, he was knocking them out quickly. And um, they set up this fight and James Buster Douglas was from my hometown. And back then, like the, the heavyweight champion of the world was everything. I mean, we were coming off, you know, the 70s fights with Ali Frazier, and then we had moved into Tyson and um, what he was doing, which no one had really seen that knockout power, at least in modern uh, contemporary boxing. And so I wandered down to our rec room. You know, I can see the leather couches and the huge TVs in the early 90s. We thought bigger was better. And so I don't know if you've ever seen a projection TV. They are like a small car. Yes. Yeah. They, they, they have depth. <laughs> you move, you know, the, what we realized is that, oh, they don't have to be big. 
<laughs> you know, and like, you know, give me a flat screen. You have to usually just leave them or, or cut them apart. They're so big, but wandered down and we were the house in our block that had rented the pay-per-view of this fight that was taking place in Tokyo, Japan. And I think it was, um, you know, 42 to one, a lot of the like journalists were like, this is going to be like easy, you know, because who's James Buster Douglas, you know, Tyson's just, uh, he's a dominant force. And so what happened was this elaborate, amazing fight goes back and forth. Tyson's like being put to charge, you know, and um, I don't know if you know this, like in boxing, you, um, a de-icer is what they put on, eye swell is what it is, is they put that on, especially an eye when it's bruised because it's so vascular, it swells immediately. And that's a common thing. Every cut man has it. They didn't even bring it for Tyson because they just were like, ah, he won't need it. They had to use a plastic glove and um, fill it with ice, you know, so throughout this fight, um, you know, so obviously a girl who was just like, you know, I was into the new kids on the block and, you know, sports, I don't know, we had Ohio State football. That was our thing. I was captivated. I was caught up. And yes, I was rooting for my hometown guy, you know, Buster Douglas. And um, he wins. And it's this great, you know, depiction where Tyson is like got his mouth guard falling out. And so um, in that basement, 1990, I became a boxing fan. Um, so then um, I didn't know I was going to become a writing uh professor that specializes in combat sports literature at that point. But um, I did, as you said, went to Duke University, uh, where I started, we were talking about this, um, my dad, the doctor really wanted me to also go into, you know, medicine. It's not only a noble um, profession, my dad's like, you make money. <laughs> so I was just trying. But uh, Jeremy, we were talking about how I, I did not love the labs. I do not love like putting things in petri dish. What do I love? I love words. I am um, also, um, yes, I started liking boxing and sports. I also loved reading. I was that kid who in like eighth grade, my parents would come up and tell me to go to sleep because I'm just reading books and books. And so that's what I did. And I just took so many English classes that I became an English major. My dad got over it. And um, then I uh, graduated from Duke University and then went into advertising. Um, so I was using words, but again, it was, you know, no one wants to say they want to be a writer. Well, you, you clearly followed storytelling. That, yeah. that, that ultimately seems to be the, like the Buster Douglas. That was a fairy tale in real time with an underdog story that manifested into legacy. Like the, the, the lab work is, it's, you can tell a story, but it's a little bit more what is exactly happening and what was the result of what you input into the equation. It was a little binary. You know, I'm not a science guy. When we interviewed uh, Elliot Lowe, which thank you again for stomping on Elliot, he works uh, he works over uh, at the uh, I'm gonna butcher the acronym, the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Oh, I think. Thank you, uh, people. No, yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you. I learned so much in that episode, and it was it was early COVID when I was like, "What's happening?" Because again, I'm not a lab guy. I I, I did not understand like basic bio, and like I still am, I'll be honest about it, but. But it was exactly that. I, I needed the story. I needed something to be brought to life for me. Same thing with history. Like I always struggled because I was taught history in a way from the majority of the professors I had. And it was numbers, dates, events. It wasn't taught in a, in a way where it was, this is chapter one, two, and three. You're living chapter 11. Let's get you up to speed. I would have been, let's game. So yeah. 
So Nancy, you, I got a couple questions before I lose track of them. So do you remember the first book that you read that like clicked for you of like, I love reading? Oh, that's so great. Uh, right. You know what I have to go back to? And I feel like this is kind of a boring expected answer for a, a young white girl from Ohio, but it was Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. Okay. Okay. Uh, you know, and I think it's because what there's a story happening, right? And great plot in that book, you know, great characters. It's more, right? It's connecting to the social mores of what's going on. And, you know, there's all of these wink winks from Jane Austen, you know, um, you know, a man would obviously not be one of a wife. And, and, you know, those great things. And it, what I love too, and I love, I think of this about combat sports is it's more than the boxer. It's more than the fighter. It's you're fighting for your country, your city, you're fighting to get out of where you grew up. Um, it's, it's, you know, you're, you're, you're coming in and what the, the viewer or the reader is saying is that they're connecting to that and they're wanting to get out of a situation. And um, so, yeah, so no, it is interesting um, that Jane Austen, Victorian literature, uh, <laughs> very respectful. And, and actually, if we go back into history, um, women were boxers in the 1700s. But yes, there's a, I wanna do a documentary if I ever have this creative space or, or write a biography about Elizabeth Wilkinson Stokes. Uh, She's notorious. Uh, There's great like um, write-ups in the papers at that time. She would call out other women. She, her her husband um, Stokes um, was also a boxer, but he was also like thought of as maybe like a notorious like criminal. So it has that backstory with her. But there's this great era where women were boxing. And then the Victorian age came in, and women were taken out of that space. You know, women, I mean, as you know, we could get into, you know, some feminist theory here, but they were told to wear um, garments that kept them, you know, constricted and go sit in that other room, men are over here. And it's taken a while back. You know, women's boxing, I, did I already ask you this question? Keep when rolling. women's boxing get in, reintroduced, they were there for a moment in the early 1900s. When were they um, finally Olympic sports? 70s 80s i couldn't even tell you 2012 eight years 2012 ago. gotta get my game on this is why we bring nancy i gotta i gotta i gotta skill up i only bring i don't mean to like no no are you kidding me? no no I'm, I'm teasing you but also everybody knows this that it has talked to me like i bring people on that like i know i can learn things because what is the point of talking to people that we are sh yeah. so i like i like this no it's so this, to, that's a rhetorical question because like how can that be right right uh, yeah um, but no, so that's why I find it fast. But so I like Victorian literature, don't like the era. <laughs> Interesting. No, but to your point though, the storytelling, the sports, it, it's not cyclical, but there, there are certain elements that we can draw from it where it's like, this, this isn't new. It may be a new iteration, but it's not new. It's kind of like, I, 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 like a reference point that that's familiar to me, at least I think a lot of people listening is it's like Apple doesn't create new operating systems. They iterate the one that's already in place. I feel like we kind of see the same thing in place in sports. Like it's, it's just 10.1.2. It's not a new thing. It's just a new version of the same thing. And what's what, but back to the original point though, that I thought was interesting is like you followed the storytelling. It was, it was the ability to see a plot line and follow it. It was the ability to see like how things could possibly develop and 
combat sports is one of the most thrilling combinations of tension and heroics and raw, uncut. And the the thing that, that really drove me to want to have conversations around MMA and combat culture and um, leading up to meeting Charles and our world is, is changing. And, and, and like if you go to Instagram and look at SportsCenter, they have highlights of like on like their noon Instagram post of an inst- of, of, a, of a UFC fight where somebody's getting their ass kicked. I mean, like, this is like, this is no different than world star hip hop. There's just regulations and drug testing in place and a lot more money. But yeah. we're at this point where, and Joe Rogan talks about it. He's like, we're three, he has a stand-up special where he talks about it. He's like, we're three people away from gladiators. When yeah. you really think of lineage, you know, and, and I love that little bit he does. It's like three people. Yeah. Like, that's shit. It's like, what? But it, that's where, when we bring it into the, the center stage around writing and combat sports, it, it's, they're, they're, they're kind of opposing things. Like writing is, if you take it into the original context of, I wasn't there, I don't know what happened, write something to inform me of the experience that took place in that ring, in that cage, in that moment, because I don't have any other information to form an understanding. But how do you write something that actually articulates how raw and how uncut and how just thick that whole experience was um i'm i I have to ask how did that course come to life and 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 first just explain a little bit about like what is is the right you know writing and fighting at at american and i just want to figure out how how that came to life like that's such a unique idea oh yeah no thank you it's uh because i didn't know if it would come off (laughs) i think i told you um so i appreciate it so uh, where I had it is that I went back, um, in my mid thirties and I decided to do, I think I mentioned I went into advertising. Um, this is the dirty secret for all writers. It, you don't believe you can be a writer. It's almost like saying, I don't know anything in the art world. You don't feel like you're allowed to be that for a job. It's self-fulfilling, you know, um, you know, my brother used to make fun of me. Like there was a line in election about, oh, you need to go work on your novel. And, you know, because, you know, everyone wants to, but you don't believe it. So it took me till my mid thirties when I realized, wait, you know, I, I had never taken a creative writing course. I had only taken English comprehension and I've worked in advertising, like copywriting and account planning. Never felt like I was allowed to take creative writing. So that tells you about like, I had to kind of get it over myself and, you know, allow myself, I think you were talking about this, be a little bit more self-centered, you know, instead of just fulfilling expectations or what I thought people had expectations of. So I went to American, I looked up, I live in DC and I looked up the only um, masters of creative writing, of fine arts, um, which is a terminal degree, is an American. Georgetown didn't have one, GW doesn't. Uh, Johns Hopkins has an MA. We can get a master's, but um, I wanted a, I wanted the MFA. Um, what, you know. What's a what's a terminal? Uh, pro- degree? Highest you can get in that. So um, you can't get a doctorate in creative writing. Exactly, you can get Got a it. doctorate in rhetoric or a doctorate in English composition, other things, but not in creative writing. So uh, you know, and I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm going to do this. I live right by campus. It looked great. And so, yeah, I went back and I, I did a lot of, um, I started fiction actually, because that's what I love to read. And, and, but then there was a little bit of, I'm sure, 
wow, I can actually write about myself. And maybe there was like, I just, I started doing that. So I, then I started writing memoir. And then I started getting into MMA. And I blame my husband for this because I had always kind of been a boxing fan, but it's kind of hard sometimes to be a boxing fan because there's so few events, you know, especially the big ones. We're talking like a Triple G or Lomachenko or even a Mayweather. And, um, you know, one thing I think you've learned about this, the full cards of, of mixed martial arts make it so interesting. And you have like a big, like a menu of options, you know, instead of just the top you know, um, dessert that you get for boxing. They, they packaged UFC in a way in mixed martial arts. And, and I'm sure the credit goes to Dana White and that team. I, I don't know candidly, but you're right. Boxing was this one hit. It was, it, it's like, it's, it's like going to see a band and they have no openers, nothing. And you just hope that show rocks. You don't know how many yeah. songs they're going to play. You don't know what songs they're going to play, but they came with instruments. They're going to be loud and we hope you enjoy it. And it's like, America's the not America the, the global attention span has changed. Yes. And 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 how they they packaged the fighters and Charles actually spoke to that in a really eloquent way. He was yeah. talking about like the process of preparing for fights and, and actually putting on those events is so challenging because and he compared it to like a Beyonce concert. He was saying that like in a Beyonce concert, she is the event. Everything about her is the event. It's not the songs, it's not the backup dancers. She is the entire event. But when you fight for combat sports, UFC, MMA, each fighter is Beyonce. They have their own demands, their own requirements, their own fans, their own section, and their own risk, their own tolerance. And it's it's so challenging. And so then how did you, like, when did it hit you? Because you've been doing this for four years, the class. When did you start to realize you're like, I'm going to get my master's at American? And then what, what what turned the corner? So this is the thing. So I'm an American. I graduated. And I also learned through the program, I took their teaching practicum to learn to teach rhetoric Got and it. writing and creative writing. So, um, and I, I, that was, didn't even think about, I was going to do that, but I thought, you know, this is a core, I'll get credit, you know? And I, I thought, you know, I always kind of wondered the process of breaking down writing. You know, if, if I think everyone should actually learn this. Like, we should learn process when we're in high school to really think about how we learn and the pedagogy. I won't get into that like theory and stuff like that, but um, I found that super interesting. It helps my process. And then um, I really enjoyed the students. I, you know, what I learned, you know, and this maybe was a different level that when I went into to college, this would be probably because I was scared of most of my professors. I didn't, question them. I didn't go to office hours because I was just like, what, you know, that's another thing of like, oh, they think I'm just weak and I need help, you know, completely wrong. Now I knew, wow, like as a professor, you're bringing me information and I want to know what your perspective is. And so that the learning is going both ways in the classroom. Um, And also the students have such cool, interesting stories themselves. And so that became apparent. So then MMA, I get sucked into. And I don't know if you, but once you kind of, you, you go down the path, you become, yes. it's hard to break it. And then you're, you're reading MMAfighting.com and you're watching Joe Rogan and Aaron, you're like, um, just thinking about fights in your sleep. You know, you're just, <laughs> it happens. So what happened with that too, is I, it was the women. 
in MMA, which I had never seen women athletes who were so ingrained into a sport in an equal space and looked upon in such a way, like I, I have to say, it was like, I think I was listening to Joe Rogan and I hadn't really listened to him much. Um, and he was, it was after UFC 196. Now this is where Conor McGregor first loses to Nate Diaz. And it was also where Misha Tate beat Holly Holm. And, you know, I started listening to it, thinking about the Nate Diaz Conor fight. It was when they were talking about Misha Tate and Holly Holm and, and talking about their physical endurance and how good a striker one was versus the ground, you know, the grappler Misha and the Hail Mary she got at the end. And I was just like, wow, you know, I've never experienced this. Because if you look at other sports, women, they're either in a separate league um, or even, you know, in tennis, they do less sets, uh, golf, the tee is closer, you know, and so, and there is also disparity in pay and, and in awareness and recognition. And this was blowing my expectations. It also happened to be where Rhonda was rising and, um, and, you know, in 2015, she made more money than any other fighter, male or female. So I got captivated and I wrote a piece on that. Um, just about, it was when, um, actually she had lost and she was coming back against Amanda Nunes. And I wrote about what it made me, the process of her coming out. I wanted to know how women had transcended the sport. So I did some, and this is where history, yeah, go find the story. So I went back and I looked and I found out there's a correlation actually with um, martial arts and that women actually in the 70s started taking self-defense when we had these kind of Summer of Sam and Ted Bundy, these weird, you know, um, they felt their safety was on the line with these serial killers. And who knew that would be connected, but there was an influx of that. And then there was this time where more women, um, they were kickboxing. And it was like, they were really, really getting a lot of kickboxing and that was taking over across the world. And so it was interesting to see that combined with, you know, the Rhonda effect is what we call it because um, I found it interesting that women in boxing had just never been able to get to the level of a Rhonda. And, you know, I've talked with this, I've talked with fighters, I've talked with broadcasters, like, and they said it was so magical to have Rhonda hit at that time um, because we wonder if we didn't have her, where would women's MMA be? So it's one of those thought experiments, you know, right. um, and with, is is that women are still very big part of the sport now a lot of people thought it might fade post Rhonda um but yeah so that's what I wrote my first piece and then I was just like there's more wow you know probably it was the fact that I went and I learned all this cultural history and so I had gone and started um you know reading a lot and reading like some of the greats and I had read some in college like some AJ Liveling sort of revisiting that and that's when I realized, I told my husband, like, I now, I think I've read a course. You know, I went back and read um, David Remnick's book on Muhammad Ali and read Jack Johnson and really learned how race and combat sports is embedded. And, you know, I'm actually hoping to do a panel on race again. It's the fourth anniversary of Muhammad Ali next week. And we're getting some authors together. Um, but you can go back and gender, you can and learn about that. And I had pulled all this together and also the writing is so freaking good, you know? And I think I've told you that, especially like in the era before radio even, um, 
it's Boxiana, like Pierce Egan is one of the most notable. Um, they had to captivate, they had to show the emotion, they had to show the action. And so I actually think it's a little hyper now. If you read Pierce Egan, you'd be like, the guy is shouting in all caps. But it made sense at the time. And I think there was always that part of um, especially boxing writing that it had to capture that essence as well as the story, you know, the narrative as we've talked about. Well, it, it had to get people to want to know more so they could promote the next fight. Unfortunately or unfortunately, I find combat sports to be unique in that promotion is ultimately the backbone of everything. Whereas no other sport is that way. There's like there's a marketing budget for baseball, but they sell season tickets and people come and they do their thing. Same with NBA, soccer, golf. Combat sports has a very different barrier to entry because there's way more risk. There's a lot of money involved in different ways, right? Like a, like an MLB season has a, a, a year-long branding agreement. A, a fight may have a night sponsor that is paying millions of dollars. You know, the TV deals are interesting. It's it's his own little world. But before technology came into play, the writer was the truth. At If you really want to look at objective truth, nobody knew otherwise unless they were in the room. If they weren't in the room, that writing was everything. And as technology moved, then they had to question how far and provocative and detailed can, and, 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 and loud can we be candidly before we start fraying from truth to fiction yeah and <laughs> i i um i think it's a super interesting evolution because the second they they don't have to rely on the writers how did how do they compete right when you really look at attention did you were there any noteworthy fights or transition points where you saw like the writing styles change from like whether they went from writing to now there's radio and people are listening to the fight so they're not reading it as much like or do you guys i guess a different question do you guys in do you, do you in the classroom do you look at both forms of communication or is it solely article-based publications of like front front page of the news here's what happened last night that's such a good question and a hundred percent this is what we should be evaluating I try and do a scope of everything um, because even in that itself, you can learn from it. Um, I think I told you about Jack Johnson, who was the first um, African-American heavyweight. He won it in 1908. And in 1912, um, there was such a rise that the public, um, Ken Burns said it right, the public was not ready for a black champion. We were in Jim Crow and there was such an outcry that people were affronted to have this, this symbol that a black man can be the greatest, you know, heavyweight, which also meant like one of the greatest in the world, um, at do, you know, athletes. So um, it's interesting because I had my students read the newspapers back then because you can see what, there were um, definitely public opinion, like um, Jack London, who noted um, natural, writer, Call of the Wild, he's the one who we attribute the uh, great white hope to. And he wrote this essay saying, Jim Jeffries, who they brought back from retirement, you are a great white hope to reclaim a white man being champion. Now, my students can't believe that like the LA Times prints something like this, but that's 
what was going on. So I think it's good to look and see. And as you say, the transition, yes. Um, I think of the writing that happened where we had embedded um, writers like a Norman Mailer, who just was in the camp. You know, one of his great books, The Fight, he goes with Muhammad Ali to Zaire for the uh, fight he has with Foreman, Rumble in the Jungle. And he's just there and chronicling, you know, it's, he has his prose and his witticisms and um, really introspection. We don't have people uh, like writing books on following Mayweather around anymore. You know, it's a, it's a different style. So that's what shifted in the, you know, I think it's probably the eighties, nineties, the internet was huge. Not only can you do little bits, right? You don't need this long form video. Uh, and so that is where we saw, I think, are you aware of Deadspin and Sports Illustrated? Bingo. Both of which holding companies uh, took over and basically eradicated their writers. I mean, some of the writers walked off in, in one and, but there was no value in, the, in that content anymore, which is really sad. Now we have something, I don't know if you're aware of The Athletic. It is a subscription-based um, online uh, at sports um, media, you know, it, and it specializes in long form. It specializes in that this, they have the best writers and they really do, I have to say. And they're not gonna pay on ads. You have to pay $4.99 a month to read it. Now I have hope that people will recognize and keep something like this going because it has so much value. You know, if you're really gonna wanna read a great um, kind of evaluation reflection on the USC 249, go to The Athletic. They don't also, they're not tied to ESPN. They're not tied to any other media companies. So that is also gonna give you, because um, we haven't even gone into that, how there could be biases. Bingo. Do, do they, and just uh, one off, do, do they do other uh, types of sports or is it all in combat? Oh, they, The Athletic covers all sports. Soccer. Interesting. Yes. Theathletic.com. Can't think of them highly enough. Uh, you know, and so what they did when this happened uh, without sports, what do you do when you don't have ads and you can't just run, you know, um, you know, where's, old right, where's, where's the business model? Right. Yeah. At the end of the at the end of the day, sports matters because people will pay to see it. If people yeah. don't pay to see it, then it's just a thing people do when they have time outside of what they yeah, do yeah. to make money. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh. So I talked to their editor and he's like, We've, we're having to be creative. They're coming up with stories. They're going to evergreen stories, you know, um, a fighter who, what happened to him or um, someone who had a really interesting backstory that just didn't ever have time. Um, so that'll be, it's interesting to see where that'll go. But, but to back to where I think we were asking about my course. So Professor Kidder, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually teaching personal essay courses. Um, because at American, they have this great thing. Um, you can, they have writing as a prerequisite. You have to take it, or requisite, excuse me. You have to take at least two credits of writing. And I love this. So critical, because they know it's in any field you go in, any school, school of uh, international service. Uh, if you're going to go into their um, COBOD, their business, you need to be able to write. Um, so critical. And so, or just know the process of what you're doing. And so right. you can take um, a basic writing class, which is just the argument. And then after you've completed that and you have to get a certain grade in that, 
you can go and take a writing 101, which is a genre class. Uh, and this varies. You can have Shakespeare. You can have uh, writings about um, public policy, humor. Well, I thought, you know what? I know of all these authors, there's great work, but I also see how combat sports can be used as like a vehicle to learn about culture and society. Um, because I had just done that with Ronda Rousey. So that could be my, cause that was the fun thing is that you have great writing, you break it down and you learn the rhetorical maneuvers that those writers are making. You have to have a research component. So that was my thing like, hmm. And, but I realized there's so much going on in combat sports. Um, and why don't you just, you know, what I have for their final paper is they pick a fighter. Um, you know, you could do Jack Johnson, who we were just talking about the first heavyweight champion. Well, what did that, what was going on in society? Why was it such a front that he was the champion? And, you know, you learn. And so, and I hope what my students carry on is that there is so much you can use in this world to explore. Like I want them to thirst for those stories and want to know, um, you know, because it's interesting that you said that history was just facts and numbers and dates, Ugh, which just makes me sad. Um, Cause actually history is storytelling. That's how we pass knowledge as humans is narrative. Um, one of the first pieces I give them is the first kind of known um, piece of, um, literature and combat sports and that's homer's the iliad and they describe a funeral scene where at the funeral two fighters uh i love this uh they have a fight there's a prize the winner gets a mule and the loser gets a two-handled cup but i love it because they trash talk each other and it's like i pair the writing i have them read the homer and then i have them read muhammad ali like one of his uh great uh raps of of poetry and i show them that not only has combat sports been around forever there's always been trash talking so a hundred percent no but the the point that there's two things that I, I think about when when we talk about this one is i think oftentimes people think that entrepreneurs are the only ones that can create a job for themselves based on a passion or an interest and i think that we i'm really impressed by is we've talked about this off off mic like education matters like not to get political but it fucking matters having a skill set that allows you to be a productive contributing member of society is incrementally more valuable than a lot of things <laughs> right <laughs> and so like that that being said building the curriculum and injecting ways that they can explore perspective and explore skill set and explore mindset like that side takes creativity as well. And it's not about, you know, read this book, tell me what you read. It's yeah. what frame can we leverage to gain a different perspective on the way we live and the people that are a part of that life. And I think that you've done a really, really nice job with that. And something from somebody that like, I, I liked school, but, but I'll be honest, it wasn't like my cup of tea. I just, I like, it didn't click for me in a lot of ways. I, I did well. My, my grades were fine. I, I was able to go to school and do my thing and play sports and, you know, honor society or whatever you want to call it. But it, the fundamentals of it were, uh, I was looking for that same, what you bring, which is the sense of wanting to be in the classroom. I had few teachers and if I listed them, it'd be on one hand that I felt like, damn, they want to be here. They're bringing something new to the table. 
But when we go to college, we get this list of classes that we're supposed to take to get out, basically. Let's, yeah. let's be honest. It's I need to do all of these things to get out. And, and I'm not going to out somebody, but it took me a lot of work to get somebody on the other side of that phone from when I went to school to, like, confirm for me, yes, you checked the boxes. Like, I was like, I'm not coming, like, I... If this was a business, we'd have a bad deal here. If we're only graduating, you know, 22% of people in four years, that's a broken promise. So let's, I'm going to get ahead of this, but it's like, there's so much work involved, but sometimes we don't look at how did that course make it to that list? And from the first side, which is literally, how did you get the school to buy into such a unique idea? And we'll dovetail to like, to teachers out there that are thinking, I don't want to just teach English. I don't want to just teach math. How can we frame things? And so we'll, we'll, I, I want to start off with literally what was the process of bringing it to American University from just an idea through implementation of actually enrolling kids into classes? Like, how, what was that process like? That's so great. And I, one of the things I appreciate, uh, it's a great question. I have to give a shout out to American University in that they have their mantra is, you know, they've embraced the wonk in that they embrace people, a wonk is, you know, usually a geek, right? And it's like a policy wonk or something. Um, we also have like a cat that lives on our campus. We call him the, the wonk cat, you know? So we've, <laughs> we've embraced it. And I think that's what they do is that you have to show you're gonna have quality work. You know, I can't just have them read The Ringer or I'm thinking of, um, you know, ESPN.com. Nothing wrong with those things, but you know, I had to have, showing you know the depth that they were going to do and i was also showing them how i was going to connect um their writing skills how i was going to show them um in the early part they're going to read a lot of nonfiction fight writing that's what i call it like you know then i'm going to have them write an argument um on something in fighting like where they have to really apply the skills of um you know persuasion you know, ethos, we talked about this, uh, you know, um, pathos. And I show them versions of how it's done where someone, you know, I, I, have a, I have them read some articles about like the violence in the sport. And also I do not try and paint this as a rosy picture. And I think that that's part of my class. Um, I tell people in the beginning, you know, that there is gonna be violence. <laughs> Can't help that, it's gonna be blood. Um, and I also say, if you don't also have to be a fan of the sport, I actually want some people to kind of give us that other perspective, to remind, you know, to give us that idea that mm, this is violent and this is not civil. And we know that there's CTE. How can we ever say this is a, a, a safe sport? Uh, I value that there. So then I have them, you know, read some perspectives on that, on some arguments. And then we get into this research. So I showed. I was very diligent on showing American University how these they were going to learn these skills, and it was just through the lens of combat sports. And you know, I'm I really love that American University. They give a lot of freedom to the professors, you know, and they um, they kind of they don't really come and check on me really or anything like saying you know. Um, are you still making sure you're doing that? Because they know. And I think it's also reflected in that, you know, my students, I, I know so many, they're, they're, my alums are great and they still come to my virtual classes, you know, all the time. But I think that they, 
can see that. And um, so I really got to give props to American. You know, a lot of universities like to keep it to the basics, right? And they don't want to explore, you know, something out of the box, which is definitely out of the box. Well, a lot of them want predictable. Yeah. Well, they they want to, you know, I, uh, one thing I learned, not so much learned, but like it kind of brought to life in a, in a way that I thought was well said was when I interviewed um, Barbara Coward, who's an admissions consultant. And um, this is like, a, not, like probably 20 something episodes back, I feel like at this point. And we were just talking about the process of applying to get your MBA, get your master's. Like, what are the schools looking for? What if I don't have great test scores? Like, what is like, it's a lot of money. Do I do it? Do I not do it? It was just a nice, thorough conversation around this thing everybody's talking about. Is it right for me? Is it not? But it was talking about the fact that, look, at the end of the day, they want people that they can graduate and they being these, these master's university, you know, programs, they want people they can graduate that are little micro marketers for that program. Yeah. And, and that means socially uh, well-respected and, and they can work well with others. That means that intellectually they're there, critical thinking they're there. It's not about test scores or not test scores. It's like they want to deploy you into the world and you be the best billboard in the world. And sometimes when you have these outlier type concepts being taught, it creates a variable change that you can't necessarily account for, which is yeah. refreshing to say the least. Exactly. And so, yeah. So was it, is it like you build the, like a suggested curriculum and then yeah. you're you like basically like, we want to build this class. Yes, I hand it in and it was meant, I meant you, you asked me, did anything get taken off? And I don't think so. Wow. I, I have through practice learned that some things work and some things don't. Right. Live, oh, I- well, A little bit of don't ask, don't tell. I get it, Nancy, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I learned what, you know, um, you know, what things, uh, you know, cause I used to have the, I and my students watch Raging Bull and I realized that's a really long movie, you know, and what it's, it's there are some other things. Cause I also do some cinema because I'm sure you know this, the fundamental, the narratives that we were talking about, the storylines of rags to riches and stuff like that. Um, there's a reason why there's like almost a hundred boxing movies because it carries so well. I mean, you can go back. I just watched one with Paul Newman the other day. Um, and you, you know, um, I have them watch Rocky, you know, and Rocky one. Many of, Rocky one. Okay. Uh, a lot of my students, you know, they're born in 2002. I know. Uh, they've actually seen Creed but never went back and saw Rocky. So it's really interesting. Um, <laughs> it is, it should, you, for those listening that can't see, it should probably be the other way. We're yeah. just throwing that well, out there. <laughs> you know. Jordan, Black Panther, all that. So- um, Oh no, that, that stuff aside, I'm just saying like Rocky won. I know, I know. <laughs> um, you need to look back at that movie because we really talk about kind of narrative structure. And most people of my students, I poll them if they haven't seen it, who wins at the end? Right. They, they think he wins, Rocky. Isn't that crazy? And we talk about like why that also that sets it up as just this legendary sure. movie because he doesn't right. win. We also talk about, and this is something that goes hand in hand with combat sports, meritocracy, meaning, which also kind of it talks about the American dream. I right? love it, yes. Right, okay, let's dig into this. A lot of people think that Rocky symbolizes the American dream, right? He worked hard. He was this Italian stallion. He got his ticket because it was hard work, you know? And so we all want to triumph. He runs up the steps and everything. Well, if you go back and watch a movie, 
not quite, he gets lucky. And this is the thing about combat sports and just a lot of life. It's not always based on merit, right? Um, and unfortunately people think, oh, you can rise through the rankings to get your title shot. Oh, it might just be that you're in the right place at the right time and you get called up because it looks like a, it would be a, a cool thing, a cool rivalry, whatever reason. And that's why you get your shot. Bingo. Uh, there was an interview, uh, I'm sure a lot of people have seen it, but it was uh, McGregor slash a UFC panel, you know, of just like mm -hmm. reporters and people talking. And somebody was like, yeah, I would not fight you, you know, McGregor. And he looked at him, he's like, shut the fuck up. I bring, if you fight me and lose, you still make more money than if you fight and win somebody else. And it was just, it was, I mean, and, and it was just one of those things where you start to like, you're like, oh shit, he's right. Yeah. Like he was he was kind of talking talking trash back. He's like, if you get called to fight me, you go home and celebrate with your wife because you just know you made it. And it was like, oh wow, Mike drop literally. Yeah. But it but but to your point, the meritocracy component of it, like the best of the best. Like sometimes you you catch a fight, you know. Sometimes you catch a, a you know a, a knee in the wrong spot, or you you, you you land that punch, the one that trained harder, did more prep. They go for that that right hook and they leave their left leg extended. They swipe it. And they get popped and all of a sudden they're like whoa they wake up tomorrow and they're like i guess i lost yeah there's and i wouldn't call it serendipity but it it's a raw athletic experience oh it's 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 the and, and the thing that is is i love about it is you know if you're playing golf it, you know it's mental and you're playing the course and it's unbelievably challenging and there's you can't be a millimeter off at times it's so challenging but it's like playing golf with somebody trying to prevent you from doing everything there's still that level of you can't miss by an inch you can't slip up you can't you try to hit hit it this way but you didn't see the slope and like there's the same except there's somebody running the toll like mm -mm. yes i never thought that's a great way to talk about it like what if tiger woods was trying to pummel phil nicholson like right the <laughs> like, whole time phil's just in his ear being like tiger you suck <laughs> I know. I know. You know? but it oh. but it, it begs the question though it's like you know this sport is unique, and I'm not surprised at this point now that we have become desensitized in many ways. And and that, you know, I'll be honest, I, I've had conversations with folks, and it can go both ways. Some people are overly sensitive, some says we're desensitive. I, I think we're at a point where, thing. here's the easiest way to answer it. I hear kids, and I, I'm saying that, and I'm I, I, I'm young, right? Like, we're both young. I, I have people I, I'll listen to, and the way that their kids talk to their parents I would never have imagined talking to my folks that way, right? And that's not about like I was raised in a loving household, but it's it's like there's this level of universal respect that I think has been broken a little bit in not a bad way, but the world is raw and uncut. And we have this makeup colored, rose colored, you know, glasses in a lot of things. But when we see the raw gore and blood of life, it doesn't surprise anybody. And what I mean by that is we all love the puppy videos and the, the cute baby videos, but then we see somebody getting their ass kicked on Worldstar and it gets 3 million views because we're desensitized to the loving warmth that is that puppy or baby and the same reaction to, oh, look at that fight. We have the same attraction to it. And I think for the first time in a very long time, most people are on that wavelength. And that is very weird to me. And no, I think that, you know, I, I, I like this. I like bringing this in, you know, um, because I have to, you know, if I got to counter you, please, 
Yeah, let's <laughs> roll. <laughs> yes, there is blood. You know, I don't know if you watched. Did you watch the fight? It was um, the 16th, a couple Saturdays ago. There was a fight. It was Elkins versus um, Lewar, I think. Was it, was it the second? There was back-to-back weekends of fights. Was it the first or second weekend? Second. No, I caught the first weekend. I didn't see the second. Zombie. The guy's face was... I mean, you couldn't even see eyes. And, like, I think that um, they said the uh, commentators were saying they could hear the blood spurting out. So I've never even heard that. I've, I've watched a lot of things. I've never heard that. So, yes. Now, to counter blood, yes, it's because there's elbows. It's because you got um, gloves and they're not, they're four ounce. They're not these big padded things. I have to tell you, if you really want to look at it, football, there is padding, but they, the brutality that you have in a football game. And we've seen this and we've seen CTE come out, you know, in terms of like when they went back, you know, obviously they, the, I think there was like a hundred NFL football players where we had brains that we could look at. And I think like 99 had evidence, you know, but those were a select group that obviously they kept them. Um, we have to understand, and boxing's the same way. A lot of people think, oh, boxing's more gent- gentleman gloves. You know, you think of it as a more of a proper sport. Again, it's, fit- it's not 15 anymore, excuse me, 12 rounds. And what happens, right? You knock someone out, that's giving them a concussion. And then, ooh, they're out, they're up again. And they can do that two more times in the round and keep going. So I have to tell you that a lot of times it's this, it might be a little uglier and um, upsetting, but there are things that we do that we just don't realize can be dangerous like that. And so I think that if we want to look at it uncomfortable because in MMA, one thing is if you get someone on the ground, you're probably going to finish them. And so because you can go down and you can ground and pound or do some other things, right. um, you know, and right now, I mean, Dana White's very, um, and I've never really, I have a lot of thoughts on Dana White, um, but he is true in saying that there hasn't been a death in the UFC in its 27 years. Now, right. that's it's just, del- it's just a delayed death. What's like, you know, it, it took 20 years to hit home, but but I think I look at this in the same way as I look at, do you really want to know how the restaurant makes the sausage? UFC kind of shows you how they make the sausage. <laughs> That's a good right? yeah, there's, yeah. there's elbows, there's hands, there's, there's you, you choke people out, you're breaking <laughs> legs, and, and oh. they show it in plain sight. Football, they're hidden, right? You kind of see, you see the hit, but you don't, see the person because they're characters they have a jersey they have a mask or a you know face mask they have a, they have a helmet on boxing right you're just seeing two guys throw hands it doesn't look very menacing we both know it is yeah but there's something that is real like it's unrelenting that is mma and combat culture that is different because you're seeing raw uncut almost yeah. street fighting brought into a matured environment and that is the piece for me that yeah. If you look at it like a bookend, it's it's like the one side is propped up with MMA, which feels like the most raw uncut, but it's it breaks that thesis, which is ignorance is bliss. Like if you actually understand what's happening with the other sports, you understand why they're so much more catastrophic. But yeah. we like to play on the surface, and we don't like to dig into the weeds. Oh yeah. So so we look at MMA, and we're like, this is the most 
raw shit I can find on television, the most raw thing I can find, because they're just looking at it for face value. And that gets back to the writing, the material, the communication of it. Well, you know, boxing, I'm just seeing two guys hit each other. Yeah. Football, I'm just seeing a guy throw a pass, guy gets trucked and, and t- tackled, they move on to the next play. There's something re- like there's something very unique about it, but that's where communicating it in video, it comes into frame. Yeah. No, and I think so. And I, what I find, you know, because I think we're both say that, you know, combat sports has been around forever. You know, I think that, um, hand and it actually in the, um, like middle ages, um, it was more of a plebeian sport because mm-hmm. the aristocracy, like did the jousting and, you right. know, refined. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, and it's interesting to see how it's always kind of played these roles of um, being put in the black market or, or you know, and the, the black alley, I should say. Because um, do you know why? And I don't mean to test you again. This is, I just find Hold these. It. Okay. Do you know why the boxing is called a ring? Uh, not, I don't know, but I can guess. Go for it. I would assume, hmm, the ring. I would assume it would have to do with at some point it was it was like more of like a ring like a uh, uh, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to draw one word but I'm um, not a network but like it was something that like you had to fight to get out of like it was something that was was a closed off community and it was like like a drug ring if that makes sense like it's like something along those same lines where once you enter this is kind of where you're at does that make sense well you're actually very very close like mm. you you know, a plus. Thank you, mom. Shout, shout out to the family. We made it. Yeah. Um, it was. It was something that um, they got its name in, um, in the UK in like the 1800s. What happened? It was still not regulated, and it, it was illegal. And so people would make a ring of spectators to kind of, as a way to shield it. Now there was probably a magistrate who was seeing everything. You know, give them some some pounds or whatever penny hey pennies back then but right. you know but that was what a ring isn't that interesting how hmm. we don't know why we never the, have a question where it, it was from. it was it was labeled because human attention follows raw yes. <laughs> it, it's just what is this spectacle what that is, is a spectacle, a spectacle kind of hit it so hmm. it, i i also bring up this point that this combat sports kind of goes in and out of being acceptable and different levels of class now um i think you know that like bare knuckle has come back into bearing um and in, di- in like the u.s or like just that's it they, i think they may have some leagues in the uk but no in the u.s it came about mm. two years ago wyoming was the first state to kind of recertify it of course wyoming and do you know why <laughs> well <he's>, yeah <laughs> because there's 11 people there and six of them don't like each other yeah <laughs> No, that, why? I'm, I'm actually curious though. That that because because be, because like that that like that is a that is a line though, right? Like there comes that point of raw uncut where it's like, I'll put it this way: if football turned it, there's a big difference between football and rugby that nobody talks about. Yeah, a huge huge difference that nobody talks about. Football incredibly dangerous, concussion city damages and impacts life. Nobody will doubt that. You don't need to see the movies to see that that makes sense. It's a mini car accident. At least they have padding. (laughs) (laughs) They have helmets. Like I saw a video on Instagram. Somebody sent me of like the meanest rugby hits. And I got a concussion watching the video. Oh my, no, I've heard. (laughs) But haven't you heard about this idea though, that rugby could be 
safer or that it could be more um, because you don't have that false sense of safety with the helmet. I, I could I could find that argument valid though. No, that I, that makes sense though. It's it's expectations. People yeah. are fully aware of the need to defend themselves. Where in football, there's flags and there's helmets and there's padding and there's a sense of security. I I can't understand yeah. that yeah, yeah. case. But jumping to the to, to hand like getting rid of gloves and bare knuckle like that is I mean that's like there there's a. Uh, this is a little out of my, my lane, so I'll try to draw from it. But I was talking to a buddy of mine, Robbie, who connected me to Charles, actually, um, who I'm actually seeing after this to, to throw on the pads and, and, and uh, right. work out for a bit. But um, he was talking about, like, there in, in other parts of the world, like, there are, like, you can headbutt. Like, there are certain, re- I think, I want to say Southeast Asia, but I, I'd, I'd be wrong. If, they have Muay Thai. It's huge there. And, yeah, definitely different. Full on, like, just as long as they're not dead, keep playing. And... And go so, back the next day or that night. <laughs> you know, it's very different. So what does that tell you as somebody that is living in this world of combat sports and communication and and kind of broadcast journalism? Like, you're not maybe the one producing it at, at, at scale, but you're the one analyzing it. If we're seeing the sport go from boxing to mixed martial arts with, with UFC culture, with how large that platform now is, to now going into bare knuckle and in in the reason i asked domestic because again america we don't adopt new things very easily here we taste things and then we discard them that's at least what i've seen but ufc mixed martial arts is firmly adopted it is not going anywhere once and not even just because espn bought it for over four billion dollars like it it stuck right so what what does that tell you the fact that we're already adopting the next thing in in that culture well, that's such a great thing. Well, and I'll, I'll tell you again that bare knuckle, that's how we used to fight. You know, um, John L. Sullivan was the bare knuckle champion. And he was the one before Jim Jeffries, who was the great white hope. So it's been in our culture. And okay, so bare knuckle versus gloved. Bare knuckle used to be for the guys who rough and tumble because what happens is you break your hand. Right. But the difference between a four ounce MMA glove and a boxing glove, it helps you make damage. Right. right. So that is what they're bringing back because, and I'm saying they're bringing back bare knuckle because it's it's always been there. Right. It was looked down upon because, because of, to be honest, the state of boxing. I think people saw a lot of people. It's it's an older sport, which is maybe not connecting to younger viewers. Now they're working on that. I think, too, I think it's too slow, to be honest. I know that sounds kind of ridiculous to say, but oh, base, ba- baseball is struggling as well. It's They're like, do we trim the innings? Do we make a, a, a pitch count on, on the pitcher needs to move and throw more quickly? Like, we have our, our – I mean, like, not to interrupt, but, but it's – boxing has a different pace of play. It's different. more – you know, e- even when somebody's grappling and they're on the ground and they're pull, you know, they're, they're – it still feels more intense. Oh, I- I completely agree. And what, um, you know, I always like about MMA is mm-hmm. the chess match in that you have all these strategies, whether, you know, a fighter has Muay Thai and then also is a great striker. Um, but the other player, ooh, player, fighter has a BJJ background. So like, how will, the, how will that all connect and which skills will be useful and can they adapt? So that's what I think is interesting in MMA. Now, what Bare Knuckle is doing because boxing slower not as exciting sometimes i mean you can go back there some like hearn versus tagler ah you know a turry 
Gotti, Gotti versus Mickey Ward. Ah, oh, those are some like, you know, barn burners. They're awesome. There's a lot in between where it's just like, yep, it's, you know, the point fighting, you know, you know, this Mayweather, you know, what he gets criticized by Mayweather is that he's defensive and he learned that. And that's why he's been, you know, had such an enduring thing. Now what Bare Knuckle is doing is they're creating a smaller ring um, and then taking off the gloves, having shorter, I think it's like five rounds. And, um, you know, they're bringing people in from both MMA and boxing. And, you know, there, there are some people who are aged out of the sport and that's a whole nother thing about the third act of boxers, fighters, not really always that good. There's the exceptions, but oof, it's a tough road. Um, and so a lot of them are getting into it. We'll see. I mean, uh, you know, you know that about the XFL didn't survive COVID. There are a lot of places I think that were, they were just existing that may not make From it. Corner. So I, I wonder, cause there were a lot of leagues and they were, they were really shady. They'd be happening in like Cancun, Wyoming, Alabama, you know, so it's interesting, but I, I do think that academia cannot say, well, that's not something that represents culture. And right. that whole idea of anyone who researches pop culture um, and, and recognizing that um, you, what you're doing is just kind of analyzing history for a more immediate response and more a closer up. And I bring this up because I wrote a paper, an essay uh, with a friend of mine. He's a uh, Kyle Green. He's a professor of sociology and specialized in sports at SUNY um, Brockport. And we wrote it because of it was it was right after the UFC came back with UFC 249, the first, you know, that was May 9th. And I was telling, it brought in my ideas of narratives of knowing the sport has gone through these iterations of being seen as legitimate and then not being in that black alley where you need a ring of spectators. I don't want to be put back there because I do value the sport and I like how it is on an ESPN, it's, it has agencies that follow it. And so my concern was if something goes wrong, it's that renegade sport that you say, it does touch those boundaries already, that um, you, you did a great job of kind of articulating what it's like to watch some of that. Um, so that um, that's something I'm hoping that they have done everything right and uh, we shall see. I love that UFC and mixed martial arts give our culture the ability to be familiar with the fact that violence is an element of the world we live in. That you can get into conflict with somebody, but at the end of the day, the respect that is ingrained in the art that is mixed martial arts, that is something that I think teaches more lessons than, than, than a lot of other life experiences. because. You can see two people beat the living hell out of each other and then get up and hug each other or help the other person up or give like, you know, I, I think like a lot of people shine light on the fact that after the Cowboy Cerrone uh, McGregor fight, you know, obviously he knocked, what, knocked around, what, 10 seconds or something ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, McGregor immediately went up to, to, to Cowboys, I think his grandmother, and gave her a hug and kissed her and was like, you've raised a hell of a man. And... And I think like that is a perfect snapshot of, of we don't need to hide kids and the people around us from the fact that 
Violence is a real thing. There are millions of Americans that do wake up wondering if they're safe today. Maybe yeah. it's not you or me. Maybe it's not you listening. But there are real people waking up with real concern for their genuine safety. Yeah. And the ability to put this in the limelight and cause it, you know, drive it forward as entertainment. They're not, you know, they're, they're not, they're not, they're not, uh, uh, they're not slaves. They're not, it's not like people own these people. You know what I mean? This is, this is, this is a new world, but it's the same habits as different refined, uh, architecture, I think is the right way to, to define it. It has different structure to it, yeah. but I, I like that so far it doesn't appear to be put on the back burner it appears to be garnering more attention there hasn't been that death or that situation in the ring that is going to cause into question however we know it will happen yeah and and, and that's <laughs> exactly and that is going to be an incredible day for america to realize that there are a lot of risks and a lot of things that we do the question is we don't always see it you know what is it? Fifty thousand. I think uh, this is this is going to be super far if I can Google it. But you know, I would you know half a million people die every year from car accidents. It may not be somebody you know, love, trust, respect as that have interacted with, but the stat hasn't gone away because the stat's true. Yeah. Just, there's a barrier to risk, and I love that MMA has found a way to embrace the risk, package it, and display it where, like, I love and like you know not to go off on another tangent, um, like. People have mixed reviews of Dana White, but I do like that in certain press conferences, he will tell reporters to shut the hell up, like when they're clearly prying at things or they're asking questions that like they just have no business asking in his mind, right? Everybody has freedom of speech in that response. But but there's some, I, I remember one specific interview, I don't remember who, who the reporter was asking, but he was like, leave the guy's family alone. And he's just like, he kind of told him to buzz off. Yeah. And I was like, we have so many large sports leagues and Nobody's doing that. Nobody's taking ownership of the family. They're always managing athletes. That distinction is very, very appreciated, at least on my end. But I'm, I'm sure there's a different angle. There, I don't even question that the UFC is where it is without Data White. Yeah. And whether that is, there is a little bit of bullish bullishness that comes with that. And then also, I think there is this motivation drive in himself that sometimes the mission drives out everything else. And so that, but you know, that's part of why he's successful. Okay. So I understand that I would like a fighters union, you know, because I know that they, if, if you don't fight, you don't get paid. Right. Like, you need the purse. Yeah. I mean, so there's, there's, there's that to it. So, you know, yes, we're not gladiators, but mm, I wish they had more power. But, you know, I'm always going to be on that side, I think, because in the, in the end of the day, I'm going to take the fighter side, but, um, I have to grant what Dana White has done. And I think that it is interesting you bring up that there's something in combat sports that we can use because I do think it's ingrained. Um, one of my good friends is Josh Rosenbaut. He wrote a book on why we fight. And he really goes back and he studies, you know, the history of combat sports, but also the psychological and biological needs that it it just like why do we have this is it fight flight or freeze response and i do wonder because i've i've only done a couple combat sports i was talking to josh today and he's like nancy you need to train because i was a little i was i was telling you i was a little antsy and um and there's something that people are saying you know with this anxiety of covid 
or even just with the phones giving us all these various notifications, it's rising our stress levels all the time. The cortisol levels are just at peak. And what something like fighting does, or actually it's very heavy exertion, but there's something about fighting where, it's, yeah, you probably can attest to this. No, so, so I, um, I had a, a weird moment like a year ago or so. Um, I started realizing that I was always multitasking mm-hmm. and everything I did, there was always this, uh, a divided attention. And I was like, that's not gonna play out. Like there's no way that works. And, and so I started looking for experiences that demanded full-time attention, scuba diving, skydiving. I was like, I, I hate heights. I don't like roller coasters. I, I promise if you listen, if you've, I ask my buddy, Matt Wells, Matt, if you're listening, I love you, dude. I, I almost cried when I was on the pirate ship and I was like 15. Like, I don't like heights. And, but I was like, I'm going to know immediately if I hate it or if I found a new addiction, but I know that it will have my attention because there's no way to multitask while falling 11,000 feet from the air. And I left that with a new addiction and I will do this every single year, the rest of my life, as many times as I can. And it started to make me realize like, I need to find things that require, it's not, it's not uh, a nice to have. It is a, it is an absolute requirement to have full undivided attention and uh, uh, jujitsu and mixed martial arts. It requires you to be in the moment. It requires you to be present and, yeah. and, but not lazy. I think lazy yeah. and present, it's not about taking a breath and active meditation. It's about working that, that, that mental puzzle of, you know, and, and Charles worded it perfectly when I asked him like, what is it about the gym that like has made it so successful? And, and, and one of the things he touched on, but not the full answer, but he touched on the fact that nobody's trying to beat anybody. They're just using each other to work out. If they expose a blind spot, they want to know how they did that so they can improve. They're not going in trying to maul people and kill people. It's, I want to work my brain. It's a big puzzle. It's this big game of poker almost. It's this big puzzle. And um, there's more grace than I think a lot of people realize. It may look like blood and gore and, and conflict. Yeah. But it's it's much more of a dance than it is than it, the, here's all I'll explain. It's more of a dance than an argument. Yeah, no, I think that's great. What Joe Rogan has a great statement of like it's human chess mass with dire consequences or something. And that's I think it. you're right that not only do you have to be thinking with your prefrontal cortex, your logic, you also have to have that reactive. Right. You know, you are. Um, <laughs> I love. I'm going to steal this maybe. Um, for a classroom, um, you have to be Tiger Woods. Not only are you focused on the ball, you got to be ready if Phil Mickinson comes in with a like a uppercut or something. You know, you he just takes, he, or he takes your damn club. Like you can be right-handed dominant. You throw a hook, they they you breaks a finger. Like we're you gonna keep throwing it. Like I a hundred percent. It's so it's something. But there have been studies that show you know because uh, Josh had this really good insight about you know the amygdala, which controls, you know, these are the, your reactions, you know, mm-hmm. that's the more primitive reptile part right. of it. And I guess when you have all these stress levels, you know, that part of the brain gets more activated and less than the prefrontal cortex. So it, are you becoming more reptilian, more monstrous as you train? Well, actually what they found, and I, 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 I need to send this to a friend of mine, um, that what happens like, especially like animals in the wild is that they'll get this stress. You know, you see a lion or tiger, they're looking, you know, and their eyes are like on their target, right? And they're so ready 
they go out, they have that fight. What do they do after? They, what, they sleep? I mean... Yes. <laughs> it's a big cortisol dump. Right. And I read somewhere that Gaethje said he had the best night of his life after um, winning that fight against Ferguson. I'm like, it's the cortisol dump that we all crave because we're in this constant, you know, what's going on, you know. Um, I'm with you on that. I really, I've, I bought a book on focus. It's uh -huh. supposed to help me not multitask, but I haven't had a chance to read it. So that's- I, 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 um, I, I, it's, look, I, I, I don't know how to hack at it any better than, I, I and I, I think it's like, we all know much like these conversations and why I am so in love with the process of podcasting and um, it, it's singularity. It, there's something about it that is yeah. we're here. Um, and there are very few moments in every day, in my opinion, where it is singular. And mm -hmm. not because there's not something going on. It's because there's something important going on right in front of you. And I, I think that if we can, we all, like, and, and for those listening, like, think about the last year. There are days that you will remember that had your undivided attention, but it didn't feel forced. Yeah. But we don't look for more of those days. And for me, I was like, I can think about that concert. I was not on my phone at all that day. I was at good company, good entertainment. Like, yeah. why don't I do that more? And you just start to piecemeal, like, the skydive. I'm like, that was the best five minutes ever, and I hate heights. But... Once it clicked for me, I was like, okay. And you start to kind of piecemeal it together and you're like, it's okay to be focused. It doesn't like, there's a fine line between focus and distracted. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that is something that subject, like it's everybody's each his own. But, but what I know is from my point of view, at least mixed martial arts and the ability to communicate something that intense and that human, there's nothing but two people going at it there's yeah. no there's no you know like we haven't seen somebody that has a synthetic arm yet that's entered the ring that will happen at some point i'm sure that somebody that comes back and maybe has an amputee and we start to look at the reality of the scope of the conversation of like well is that can they it's not a drug they're not it's not a ped but like how's that play out into conflict God. right like there there's going to be an evolution of like I mean, we're building it for civilians that want to live a, a, a more normal life. Yeah. What, what if they want to compete? What if they want to do things, you know? And so right now at this moment, I think that we're in this odd but very interesting time where it's at the peak uh, attention that it's been at, but it is so clearly the start of a very, very long journey, in my opinion, at least. Um, I think that that's, I mean, combat sports, it's always going to face that demon. And so I think... You know, the only thing, like, I really hope that this summer, where they are one of the only few sports, because, like, I've read just, uh, where did I read? NBA or uh, MLB. Mm -hmm. looking, um, like, that's going to be more of a challenge. And was the NBA going to be in Disney World or something? It's I don't know. So something, exactly. It's going to be something modified. I think the, uh, yeah. I think it was the NBA cut and is going straight to postseason with a select group of like 2014. Like they're, they're all modifying it. UFC is the only thing that is headstrong. They're abiding by the requirements necessary to compete yeah. and operate, but they're not relenting or, or giving up anything that makes the sport what it is. No. So what I hope if I could, if professor Kidder could write this story, <laughs> these chapters, <laughs> Love it. That they've done as much to keep improving. They've improved their COVID testing. 
um, even like changing it since we've been in Vegas. Everything seems great there. We capture that market because Aunt Susie's gonna come by and see that amazing moment that I did when I fell in love with it. And so it'll grow and people, I won't be the crazy fight professor. There'll be a bunch of us, there'll be dozens, you know, because we understand, you know, because I also believe that a lot of things that we, I think there should be, you know, sports and writing or football and writing, baseball and writing. Oh, there's great baseball writing. Uh, yeah, you know, I think that um, we should understand that we got, you know, with what's happened with COVID and the uncertainty, we've got to start understanding and maybe even reframing how we look at history, how we teach writing, what um, my students can do in their lives, you know, in terms of finding that singularity, you know, and I think um, I have to quote someone who came to my class. Her name is Esther Lynn. She's a very famous uh, combat sports journalist. She's, she took the famous one of um, like Connor and Mayweather where they're facing off. She's, she's gotten um, like Rhonda when she got head kicked by Holly Holm, she was able to snap that. Um, and she told me about the moment when she was first getting into combat sports and, and being a photographer. She's actually a filmmaker background, wasn't really into sports. Um, but she started going to it and they, she went to an event and they put her in the penalty box. I mean, she was in like arena that usually has hockey and they didn't, she, she didn't have a pass that gave her access to the front, to cage side. So she's in the penalty box. Well, what does she do? She's like, you know what? I'm going to go out and get just crowd pictures, take pictures from interesting angles, go backstage. It turned out to be one of her, like her breakthrough uh, portfolio um, expose she did. And I always think about that. I told my, my students, like, we have to think that COVID is our penalty box. Now, we can't make stories in this traditional way as much. You know, we don't have cameras. We can't, um, you know, get out there and do that. How are we going in this penalty box, find a new way to write a narrative or to, to transmit ideas? So that's what I'm also hoping. You know, I think that, yes, we have our down days where we're kind of just have the angst and we've read too much news. That's my problem. Is, um, and I don't have boxing. Uh, but I think that we should use this challenge to think about what happened when, you know, you realize that one medium may not be working. Let's find another one. So I couldn't agree more. And there's a lot that I'd, I'd like to keep diving into. Unfortunately, I'm just looking at the clock. I, I got to run and oh my God. Um, I am. Um, no, I, I, I love the perspective and I love the passion. And I think if, if anybody's taking anything away. If you're a teacher or you're wondering what to do with a degree, you like coaching, that type of atmosphere, like I think if you draw from what Nancy's bringing to the table, which is find something you're passionate about that's interesting and see if that can be a frame to look at something that is more ubiquitous, something that is everybody's talking about. Is it another way to analyze or kind of dive into that subject matter where, yes, you can still teach math, you can still teach English, you can teach writing and reading and comprehension, but does it provide another flavor? Like the, the thing that I always kind of think about is the fact that every company that sells ice cream has a vanilla flavor, yet every single one of them has a different recipe and tastes different. You can package anything. The question is, what's the special about your recipe? And I think that I love that you've been able to say like, look, writing is a, is a non-negotiable to be a contributing member of society in many ways. But let's find a new way to leverage writing, to learn about culture and race, diversity, our culture, our nationality, where 
it, it's it's this it's this petri dish of life, and I think that the way you've packaged it is really really interesting, and I am um, I'm very grateful that you you jumped on, and um, we'll have to come back another time to to talk about all of the other things because there's so much that we can dive into. But um, any closing thoughts, Nancy? Just whether it's the class or anything top of mind, maybe that you're seeing that as we kind of look ahead, anything that that comes to yeah. the surface. Well, first of all, Thank you so much for having me on, Jeremy. This has been a blast today. You know, what I love about our conversations is you've kind of, you forced me to think about things in a different way. Um, and that challenge, I remember that's another thing I really like about, you know, having that attention um, with someone and, and you know, going back and, and reviewing some of the things. Like, thank you for having me reflect about my process. So thank you. I would love for you to come and guest speak at my um, in my class. So I'm I'm honored. I'd be honored. Yeah, I'd absolutely yeah. love to. I've I would love that. And then um, just closing thoughts. You know, I I, I guess I want to give a note to my students or anyone out there who's uncertain because the professors are uncertain. You know, we don't know what's happening. Um, I'm in touch with my other job. I, I talk to professors throughout the country. Uh, but just know that um, I think a lot of professors are like myself and we're going to do whatever we can to translate it and to translate the work. And, you know, I understand it's, it's up to you about doing remote. I understand. Hey, I was an 18 year old. I did not want to be home and taking class. I wanted to be out. So I get it. But, you know, with my class, I was able, the MMA community is great. I think you've already experienced that. Um, you know, I was able to get ESPN reporters and, um, you know, other writers and fighters to come to class. Uh, and now I'm going to have Jeremy. Uh, but just know that, like, I think there are a lot of professors who are finding ways through this virtual connection to give you new, to give you a new side. And, you know, and I, um, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm really trying to use this tool to just do things in a different way, maybe better. We'll see maybe better but if you do not give a little bit of full divided attention it's uh and, and kind of thought on my mind as we wrap up like when you when you connect with with somebody maybe you haven't talked to in a little while and they say how have you been all i would ask you to to, to 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 consider is if they give you a real answer are you inclined to wait for them to finish and listen because when you have these types of conversations and you're able to look through that lens you can get a lot of amazing breakthrough or new perspective, you can grow. Dialogue is designed for, for you to grow, not for you to combat people and argue. And it's designed to be a tool for growth and progress. But if we're not patient enough to let somebody finish their thought because they're passionate and have a lot to say, then there's no point in starting it. And, and, and so I would just challenge you, like, if you're listening, like, get excited about things and find people that are willing to listen to your full train of thought. Because that is where, in my opinion, and clearly what Nancy's at is, doesn't matter if you agree or disagree, have a full conversation about it. You'll be better at the end of it. And so everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. You guys know the deal. Um, this is First Floor Conversations, episode 47. And the thesis is always the same thing. The view at the top is only as good as the foundation which preserves it. And uh, in a world we live in, communicating effectively and being aware of everything that makes life what it is, whether it's love, conflict, and everything in between, uh, that's why we have Nancy. And so, it's Nancy Kidder. Thank you for for stopping by, and everybody, stay tuned for more. Thank you.